kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you open our eyes to the kingdom of God, to all that you have for us, all that you died so that we would possess for not just now, but for eternity. Father, I pray that we would see clearly so that we can sell for joy. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled the message, Finding True Wealth. Jesus came to make me and you truly wealthy with riches that will last forever. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Fear not, little flock. This is Luke 12, 32. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So these two parables, God has something he wants to say about his kingdom to you. Five things. Here's number one. It is personal. You'll notice that in both of these parables, the person themselves has to see the treasure. They have to see it for their, with their own eyes, and then they are the ones that sell everything. They don't, you can't borrow from somebody else. Somebody else can't see it for you, and you can't get help buying it. It's, it's you see it, and you give everything so that you might own it. So God has something he wants you to own. He wants you and I to own the king. He wants us to own his power and his beauty. He wants us to own his ways. He wants us to own his future. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. We need to see it for the purpose of owning it personally. You have to see it yourself, but it is interesting. This is the, two, the difference between the two parables is how they see it is different. So the first guy sees it as a surprise. He is walking along and all of a sudden he notices something. Now, buried treasure for us today is something that is like in make-believe. Buried treasure in that day was very common. They did not have banks. If you had a lot of money, if you had a, a, a lot of anything, you, you, you buried it. You, that was how you kept it safe. And you had your own little map of where it is. But oftentimes those were lost because of wars, because of uh, changes of government. There was all kinds of things happening where this could be lost. So there's, there's just buried treasure. And so one day, this guy's walking along. He's walked in this field maybe 100 times. 
or pass this field a hundred times and he sees something, maybe, maybe erosion has exposed part of it and he goes and he looks at it and can it be and can it be? And he lifts and he's like, oh my, the mother load. This is incredible. It would be stealing if I just took it because it belongs to whoever owns this field. So I'm going to hide it. I'm going to bury it, make sure no one else sees this. Then I'm going to go and I am going to buy this field so that it is rightfully mine. But he sees it, not expecting to see it. This would be like like Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He, He is absolutely sure that Christianity is false. He's absolutely sure that he's doing God and the world a favor by killing Christians. He's going and he is absolutely convinced in his mind. And then, boom, he has an experience where Jesus opens up his eyes so that he can see what's real and he can see what's true. And, and he, it, it's a surprise. And Paul says in Philippians 3, I count everything loss that I might gain Christ. I, I, I've seen the treasure and I'm all in for Jesus. And, and so this is how it is for some people. I, I told you this story a few weeks ago about in late November uh, last year, 200 Palestinian Muslim men come out, they had lost everything. They came out of Gaza. They were being taken care of by Christians and read to by Christians. And, but they're in their minds convinced it's Allah. Allah alone is God. Muhammad is his prophet. Jesus is just a person. They are convinced this, this is right. Christianity is treating God as if God is more than one and that's wrong. And, and then one, one night, 200 men had the exact same dream that Jesus appeared to them in white and declared that he was the I am. And, and they get up the next morning and I had a dream last night. They don't say what it is. They just say, I had a dream. And they say, I had a dream too. What you tell first? I had that same dream. I had that same dream. I had that same, 200. Are you kidding me? The treasure hidden in a field. Many, many people are like this. They, they've been in church or around church all their life and are convinced the church is just about man. It's just about religion. It's just about or, organized religion. And then one day, you're in the field and all of a sudden you see and experience the reality of Jesus. And it's like, oh my, this has been here all the time. Crazy. In the second parable... This guy is looking for pearls. Now, in this one, he is seeking value. He is seeking what is true. He's seeking pearls are interesting things. I did a little study this week, and if you see a big pearl that's perfectly round and perfectly smooth, it is fake. <laughs> and, and because real pearls are never round, they're never perfectly round, they're, they're all unique, and they are not smooth, and they can't be too big. They're, they're usually very small, but they are, when they're, they're a rare beauty, and there are some, there's one that's worth $100 million. So there's a, there's a huge difference between the value of pearls, but only an expert would, would be able to see it. And so it could be in the market, in full view of everybody, everybody's looking at it, but it, you have to have the eyes to know what you are looking at. But this guy is looking for 
value. He's looking for what is true. He's after exactly what he finds. So this would be, this is, this is another way that people come to it. People are earnestly seeking for the truth, kind of like Cornelius. Cornelius is this Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10, and he's, he's already recognized the God of the Jews is the real God, and he's giving alms, and he's praying, and he's moving towards God, and an angel appears to him and says, send for Peter, and he will give you words by which you may be saved. And he's looking already, he's already walking in the light of what he has, and then he finds Jesus because God, God honors that search. We have a guy, a good friend of ours, his name is William Yu, he's from Taiwan, and he's given me permission to tell his salvation story. I just love it so much. He became a friend, he's an economics professor, and right now he's at UCLA, and he watches City Church every week, so he's probably watching right now. But uh, he used to be at Winona State, and from Taiwan, raised Buddhist, and had trouble getting the English and how to express things in English, so he hired my daughter, Anne, to write for him. And so they got a friendship, and after Anne, he hired my other daughter, Christina, to do the same thing for him, and he he became a family friend, and he would ask them about Christianity. Not one question, not two questions, hundreds of questions. And they're like, you, you, need, to meet, you need to meet our dad. And so, so they brought William home, and William, William, every time William came for dinner, for, uh, for a weekend, we would always have a time where he would have at least an hour of straight questions. And just... And I'd give, you know, the best I could, best, best answers that I could give, and, but never seemingly to progress. But I didn't care. He's just a great family friend, and we were a good connection. And, and so he'd come for holidays. He would come for different events. And he was just here a couple months ago. He was at church. But I thought he was one of these guys that is always looking but never finding. There's something in the scholarly community where it's like, it's not intellectual to actually find. You just look a lot and you think about stuff. And so, and I've just been around those types of people that they're at, they ask questions and they're sincerely asking questions, but they really will never settle on something being true. And so, but who cares? We, we'd invite him to anything. And, and so one year he came with us to, uh, to Kansas City for the One Thing Conference. And this is mainly a worship conference. So we're in these services that are hours long and lots and lots of worship. And so we're in a service. The lights are all down. We're just worshiping God with all our heart. And all of a sudden, there's a little tug on my sleeve. It's William. I'm like, what's up, bro? He said, I just got saved. I said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, I believe in Jesus. I just got saved. He said, I have to go out, I, yeah, he said, I have to go out and call my wife right now. <laughs> Tell her, for her, the bad news. Um, he's been all in ever since. Just amazing. A good man, seeking the truth, and at some point, God just opens up his eyes. Yep, this is it. Jackpot. It's personal. Each one needs to find it themselves. Secondly, it's hidden. Now, this is crazy. Why would the treasure be hidden in a field? The pearl, of course, is in plain sight, but it's hidden. 
Its value is hidden from most. Everything about the gospel is hidden. It started hidden in a peasant girl's womb. He was hidden in a stable. Jesus was hidden in a regular human body. Listen, listen, to, listen to Isaiah 53, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He looks just like everybody else. He's hidden in history. Why would God come when he came? Why would he come in human history? He actually visited this planet in time and visited that time, that culture. Why that time? Why not earlier? Why not later? Why not? But he came and he existed in history. He's hidden in our own history. Now, frankly, it's not that hidden because our whole timing system got based on his appearing. It comes hidden. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees in Luke 17, he said, the kingdom of God's not coming with outward appearance right now. It's not coming the way you think it's going to come. That It will come in a visible way. It's, the kingdom of God will come within you. This is where the kingdom comes right now. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. They're all hidden. Just because something's hidden doesn't mean it's not real. You would never say when it's a cloudy day that the sun isn't real because we can't see it right now. You'd never say that. You, you understand that some things can be very real and hidden. Righteousness, peace, and joy, you can't touch them, but they're real. Everything about the kingdom is hidden. Why? If God wants to give us all this, why would he hide from us? I'm going to give you the answer to that right now. Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Did you get the reason why? Because God wanted to do it that way. It pleased him. He decided... That everybody that has an advantage down on earth, all of the rich, all of the intellectual, all the wise, all the learned, all those that have it easy down here would be at a disadvantage spiritually. It says in James that he has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And he decided, and it's not that it's not open to everybody, but everybody's gonna have to humble themselves and adjust their worldview, adjust their thinking around how he was going to come. What do I mean by humble yourself? It means just because you wouldn't do it that way if you were God or you don't think it's fair or you don't think it's this or you don't think it's that, you have to tell yourself something. Okay, but I'm not God. Remember the t-shirt? There is a God and he's not you. That's a really important t-shirt because God, God is God and he does things the way he wants to do it and you have to humble yourself and adjust to how God has done it or you end up going without. I remember when I first heard the gospel and, I, and it's funny because I was raised in church so I knew how to repeat things and stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down but the first time out of church where somebody told me what the gospel was, somebody that believed the gospel, I'm like, you're crazy. 
There's no way that can be right. How could one religion be right and the others all wrong? How could Jesus be the only way? I don't think so. Later, after I got saved, I'm like, oh my, I'm in the group that this is hidden from. And I don't know how I stumbled into this, but I was so afraid I would lose my salvation. I just like, I'm too proud. I will lose my salvation. I, I, I've got it now, but I, I, it's at risk. And I just thank God that he can teach us how to walk in humility. And he, can, he, can, he doesn't just save us. He keeps us safe. Amazing. It's hidden. Third, it's singular. So my undergrad is in business, and before I went into the ministry, I was an investment broker. And in investments, this is like investing 101, diversify. The reason why you diversify and you don't put all your money in one place is because there's no guarantees. And so if one fails, you haven't you haven't lost everything. You've got other options. Spiritually, it's exactly the opposite. Spiritually, in Christ, in the kingdom of God, you do put all your eggs in one basket because it is the only guarantee. Everything in Jesus is guaranteed. And everything outside of Jesus is sinking sand. Now, you can, you, can, you can come to this after a long, long process, or you can just take Jesus' word for it. But on the spiritual map, spiritual life, spiritual things, there is, on that treasure map, there is an X, and that is Jesus. Dig there. You dig there, you're going to get some treasure. You keep digging, you're going to get more. You keep digging. The Bible says in Colossians that all of the wisdom and knowledge of God, the very fullness of God, is in Christ. God has revealed himself to the human race, and it's in Christ. So if you want to find spiritual truth in spiritual life, this is where you need to dig. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is singular. You get rid of everything else and own that one treasure, that one pearl. Number four, it has great value. Number one, how valuable is this treasure? First, there's enough there to pay off your debts. I don't have any debts. Oh, spiritually you do. The Bible calls sin a debt. In Matthew chapter 18, the king has this guy come before him who owes him 10,000 talents. Talents are weights, and it's how they measured things. One talent is very, very heavy. In fact, 10,000 talents is, if it's silver, it's millions and millions of dollars. If it's gold, it's billions and billions of dollars. But this guy owes the king billions of dollars, and the king puts him in prison until he pays it off. Well, how are you going to pay it off when you're in prison? You and I are in debt. And it's a very serious debt. Sin is not just 
the thing that you did wrong, it is the thought you had that was wrong. Jesus, Jesus said the law is spiritual. To hate your brother in your heart is to commit murder. To, to lust after a woman in your heart is to commit adultery. The law is much more than just outward actions. It is inward. We are all guilty a thousand times before God's holiness. So we've got quite a debt. And then sin itself is called a prison. So we're in this prison of sin and there's nothing you can do to pay it off. There's no good work you can do to pay it off. There's nothing righteous enough that you can do to pay it off. In fact, the longer you're alive, your debt just gets bigger. You just keep sinning. Well, I didn't sin as much as I did last year. Okay, you still sinned though. So the debt just keeps getting bigger. So we owed a debt that we could never pay. So Jesus came, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, kept the law, not just outwardly, but inwardly, and then died in our place on the cross so that he could pay a debt that he didn't owe. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your debt has been paid by another. And there's enough in the kingdom of God, in the wealth that you get to pay that debt off so that you're completely clear of present sin, future sin, past sin, clear, all paid for by the blood of Jesus. But there's more, there's more wealth than just forgiveness. In the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. God didn't just want you forgiven. He wanted you with confidence that you are right with him. He gives you this gift of righteousness, this gift of a removal of all shame and regret and failure so that you can walk with confidence, that you can live with confidence. He, he has put in the kingdom this peace, which is his, his very presence, so that in the midst of storms down here, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, his children can be at peace, a peace that it transcends how the world gives peace. The world only will give peace when all the problems are solved. And God said, I want them to live in my peace. I'm, gonna, I'm providing peace for them in my kingdom. I'm going to give them joy in my kingdom. Joy is different. Happiness, is, it depends on what happens. And so you can be happy because good things happen, or you can be unhappy because bad things happen. And so we, as human beings, life is happy, and then it's unhappy, happy, unhappy, happy. You hope it's happy, but it's unhappy. And, and, but joy isn't like that. Joy comes right from his presence. It comes right from his favor. And storms can't take away joy. In fact, oftentimes, storms will enhance the joy that you have in him. Yep, my life kind of sucks right now, but I still have Jesus and he has me. And no one can take that away. What's in that wealth? This is a big one. Heaven. John 14, one and two, don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> don't be fearful. There are many rooms in my father's house. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be too. There is heaven to gain for eternity. That's in this. 
It says in, in Hebrews 2 that he broke, by his death and resurrection, he broke the hold the devil had on the human race through the fear of death. He just took the fear of death away. Boom, you're good to go for eternity. What's the worst that can happen? I die. Well, that's actually the best thing that could happen. I, I honestly, I don't think you can live the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundantly until you deal with the death thing. So he gives us this gift. I'm going to take away the fear of death. I'm going to give you as a gift eternal life. I'm going to let you know you're my child. I've got a place for you prepared so that you don't live in fear anymore. And you can have confidence because it's not based on how good you are. It's based on how good I was. The Bible says the wealth that we're going to receive there, it says in Ephesians 2 that it's going to take the ages to come to figure out how kind he has been to us in Christ. The wealth of the riches that belong in the kingdom of God and, of course, the great value that we have right now of an intimate relationship. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom we've sent. That word know is for intimacy. I can know God. Whatever I go through, I can know God. Whatever enemies are lurking, there's a table in the presence of my enemies. God is with me. God is with me. Whatever is going wrong, God is with me. The great value of the kingdom of God. Now we get to number five, the cost. This is kind of confusing. It costs him everything he has to own the kingdom. So do we earn our salvation? Do we earn the gift by giving enough so that we earn the gift? No, no, that's not how it works. Everything that God gives us is free. But the gift is so big that it's going, you're going to have to let go of everything else in your hands to possess it. Now, it's funny because it doesn't start that way. It starts small. Jesus said it starts like a mustard seed. You come to Christ, you, you sincerely ask Jesus into your heart, Jesus, be my Savior and be my Lord. I repent. Here's my life. And you're like, I don't feel that different. Now I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to heaven. I don't, it doesn't seem like I'm, I'm that different. And my life isn't that different. I'm still struggling with this and struggling with that. And yeah, there are some changes right away. And I'm, oh yeah, I'm forgiven. And I'm glad about that. And da, da, da. But, but this this kingdom thing, Jesus said it grows like a, like a mustard seed grows into a mustard tree, and pretty soon it's taking over the whole garden. It's like Jesus is like interested in like every area of my life. He is so invasive. He cares about my money and my, my sexuality and my business and my children, and it's like he's got a right way to do everything. And everything I try to keep from him, it's like that's the door he wants to go in the most. See, he, he, he can't be anything other than what he is. He is Lord and King. And so when he comes in, he comes in just as he is. Well, why can't I just give God part? A couple reasons. One, he gave everything for you. It's just the nature of love. Love gives everything. He gave everything for you. And so he, he wants everything from you. And, and it is, it's a really amazing deal because we give him our problems, our failures, our sins, 
And he gives us his love and his righteousness and his goodness and his provision. And I mean, I don't know why this would ever be a bad. There's a reason why it says for joy, he sold everything. It's like, this is like the best deal ever. Amazing. But we can be very obstinate because we've got our own way. We built our own thing. And yes, we want to go to heaven. And yes, we want to be forgiven. But we don't really want somebody else telling us what to do. And so we cling to our old life and our old way. And and why can't I have both? And so Derek did this illustration. It was so great in November. He had two step ladders up here. They were both tall ladders. And he said, you know, when you start out, you can be on both ladders comfortably. You're on this ladder and you're on this ladder. This is the ladder of self. This is the ladder of the kingdom of God. But as you progress, you go higher and you get farther apart and farther apart. And I remember Derek up there, he's like, you know, if I go any higher, I'm going to have to choose. I'm going to have to choose one way or the other. Well, why, why don't people choose up front? Well, they try to. If the gospel's preached right, we do ask people to repent and to turn their life over to Jesus and to recognize that Jesus is Lord. But I don't think you can comprehend it right away. I don't think you can comprehend how invasive Christianity has to be because he wants everything. And at some point, you have to decide, is it going to be the kingdom of self or is it going to be the kingdom of God? And I can't, I can, I can keep religion, but I can't keep Jesus. I can't. Religion will fit, fit nicely into our, my little compartment, and it stays there on Sunday morning, and it stays right where it can. I can live however I want to the rest of the time, and then I just have my little religion, and, and that, but that's not Christianity. That's false religion. Christianity is a relationship that affects everything. So our statement as a church, our mission statement is this. And it's from Matthew 13, 44, interesting. Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing. How do you sell everything for joy? How do you sell everything? How do you give up everything? How do you yield everything? How do you deny yourself? How do you forgive your neighbor? How do you, how do you give to missions and, and have it be for joy? Not because you have to, but because you want to. How do you do that? Well, to do that, you got to keep seeing the treasure. If you stop seeing the treasure, your Christianity becomes harder and harder and harder, and it becomes more have to, have to, have to, have to. And then you're, you're really, you're in danger. You're in danger of losing it. You're in danger of throwing the whole thing out. I don't want to go to church. Why do we have to go to church? I don't want to read. I don't want to pray. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything spiritual. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Watch out. That's really dangerous. Well, my kids are like that all the time. Okay, they need to see the treasure. Pray that God will open up their eyes. And for them to see the treasure, frankly, you need to see the treasure. Because if yours is all have to, the best they're going to have is have to. So there's this church in Laodicea. It is the seventh church in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus is addressing. It happens to be the one most like America in that it's very wealthy. Life in that city is easier because of wealth. And they have lost their fire for God. They are no longer seeing the treasure. 
They are only seeing the earthly treasure. And they have become lukewarm. And they're, they're at risk. Jesus says, you guys say in your heart, I need nothing. I've got everything I need. And you don't know that you're naked, poor, wretched, and blind. And he said, but I love you. And those that I love, I discipline. And I'm knocking at the door. I've got everything you need. I've got, I've got gold refined by fire. I've got uh, eye salve to take away your blindness so that you can see again. I, I, I've got... I've got garments of white to take away the shame that you're walking in, that you're burying. I've got everything you need. I died for you to have it, but I'm outside right now knocking because you become complacent. You become lukewarm. You have settled for just going through the motions of church, doing the things that you have to do to say that you, you did it, and your heart's not in it anymore. This is continually the danger for joy to sell everything, you need to see the treasure. But it doesn't matter that you saw it in the past. You saw it 20 years ago. You saw it 10 years ago. I saw it for a few moments in, at Billy Graham. We need to see so that for joy we can sell. So that for joy we can be all in. Or we're going to lose our fire. So here's what happened to me. I am preaching on Easter Sunday in Montevideo. This is early 2000s. I'm preaching on the text, Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of God's like a treasure hidden in a field. Saturday night before I speak that message, I have a dream, a very vivid dream, and there's three scenes in the dream. Here's scene number one. I'm in a Sunday school class. It is, it is a classroom it's a mess. There's kids everywhere. And we're, it's a craft day. We're making crafts. And there's, there's these crafts up on the, on the desks. And somebody tells me there's a jewel in one of those crafts. And I'm like, really? So I grab the craft that has the jewel. And I go into the men's bathroom, go into the stall, lock that. And I open up this craft to see this jewel. End of scene one. Scene two. The jewel is now mine, but I have lent it to somebody. Somebody wanted to, 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 to walk with it. Somebody wanted to, to, to carry it themselves. And so I, in scene two, I don't have the jewel. This guy is walking, and I'm watching him walk. And all I can think the whole time he's walking is that jewel is in danger because he has no idea what he has. He has no idea, so he's walking carelessly. I need to get that jewel back. Scene three, I've got the jewel again. It's safe in my pocket. I am standing outside of our house and driveway. I can see our two cars. I can see our house, and, but the jewel's right here. And I have this thought. I am a multimillionaire. And it doesn't matter if that house burns and somebody steals those cars tomorrow. It doesn't change my net worth. Because having this jewel, I am a multi-millionaire many times over. And I wake up. And of course, I'm preaching on this text, so I know what it means. God has hidden this jewel in Sunday school. Kids are talking about this jewel. They're making little crafts and putting little images of Jesus and Jonah, and, and, it's, and there is this 
unbelievable jewel of the ages that's right there in Sunday school. It's hidden right in Sunday school. In, in normal, regular kids' church, there's this unspeakable jewel. Scene two, you can walk in a way that the jewel is at risk. When, you, when you're just, you're careless. You have the jewel, you've, you've accepted Christ, you're following Jesus, but your life is, is, is walking carelessly. You are putting it at risk. It is going to cost you everything to have it. My, my thing with that is pay it, pay it earlier rather than let just get it over with. God, I'm all in. I'm all in. The most miserable person is the, person, the Christian that's trying to be half in, trying to be on both ladders. It's just, it's not, it's just, it's just, it's, it's horrible. Get off the self ladder and get all in. Secure the jewel, guys. Secure the jewel. And then thirdly, this is just amazing. (laughs) When you have the jewel, it really doesn't matter how good your life is. It doesn't matter whether you went through a bankruptcy or a divorce or that your current 2024 probably, uh, I've got a terminal disease. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You got the jewel in your pocket. You're good to go. You are, you are good to go for all eternity. 